0: Welcome to the Black and Brainy Podcast, an independent production weaving together modern psychology, ancient philosophy, and the experience of the African diaspora. We're your co-hosts, Dr. Laura Turner-Essel and Dr. Miriam Kadeba, two PhDs, members of the global Black community, and professionals striving to help our people thrive. Again, welcome, and here's our episode for today. Up, Dr. Miriam.
1: Hello, hello. Let's get it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So this is our part two. Our last episode, we focused on trauma, and we promised to come back and pick up the other side of that coin because we definitely don't want to leave it there. So um, we are focusing this entire episode on Black joy. Mm-hmm. So how you feeling about that?
1: <laughs> hi dr laura um you know let me just be real for a moment because when i was when i was coming in to record this episode i was like <laughs> uh-huh. my uh-huh. here of, you know uh, being in a position to talk about black joy when i'm not necessarily feeling it these days so i'm not mm. i'm not feeling it um it's Life is hard, and and I found myself being like more mindful and more aware of that piece, um, and feeling a little bit like a hypocrite, like what what am I going to to talk about? And you and I touched base a little bit, and eventually it was like, I think there's really value around showing up however I am showing up today to at absolutely. least even yeah. name where I am, so
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that and being transparent about that because I honestly think um, a lot of people probably come to this conversation from that space. I think a lot of people hear the term Black joy and they're like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> right. Like, that's not something that, um, <clears throat> this common. is not something that people are even used to putting in the same kind of thought space. Um, black right. people and joy. Um, and so... <laughs> I think, um, you know, like we talked about last week, you know, we tend to associate the Black experience, especially in this country, but, uh, you know, all around the diaspora with huge amounts of trauma and despair and um, pain. pain and... Um, that is partially, you know, obviously because of some of the realities that we faced, but I think it's also partially by design that those things often get linked together because, um, you know, there are certain narratives created that kind of want us to see Blackness as this problem, you mm-hmm. know, that want us to make that association between um, Blackness and, you know, just bad experiences bad emotion you know negative emotions um and you know the focus is on how do we shift that because that's not a, a healthy space for us to stay in constantly and it's not necessarily productive for us you know sometimes negative emotions can motivate us to get out of certain situations but sometimes it can just leave us Paralyzed and in a really disempowered space because we feel like all these problems that our community is facing are like insurmountable, you know, um, they're like undefeatable. And so I think um, that's why Black Joy is resistance, you know, resistance Mm -hmm. to that narrative, um, resistance to oppression, but also resistance to the idea that we are nothing more than our oppression. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So so I will say too, though, like in thinking about and trying to research for this topic, there's not a lot of research out there. <laughs> like we have both been in the field of psychology, and we know that in general it tends to um, really focus a lot on pathology and on problems. You know, obviously, part of the role of clinical psychology is to help people work through and solve problems but there tends to be this overemphasis on you know um you know diagnosing um disorder or figuring out what's wrong with folks and I think that that's triple true when it comes to um black folks like work, you know studying black folks and exploring like black experiences when you look at the psychological research literature there's really overemphasis on like Um, things we're struggling with or you know disparities that impact us negatively again feeding into that narrative that we're nothing but a collection of problems um in my role um I work at a university where I do some research and I've had to actually uh turn down some projects because like I was telling you you know the things that get handed to me as research priorities because I you know and people know that I'm really interested in looking at black mental health and so sometimes I get uh, we get grants and people will be like oh we want you to study this or this or that and but if I look at the list of things that people are asking me to do if I take on all of those projects my entire career will be nothing except <laughs> um, constantly pain. eight hours a day looking at black pain. And, um, you know, looking at things like police violence towards black people or black uh, experiences of um, homelessness or, um, you know, um, the psychosis Mm -hmm. and black men or, you know, black women and early death from certain health conditions or, you know and so all of these experiences of feeling Marginalized or feeling, um, or actually being, you know, negatively impacted, that would just be the totality of my work. And I, as a Black person, cannot do that to myself. That (laughs) would destroy my own mental health to just day in and day out be swimming around in this data and focusing solely on all of these negative outcomes. It's just like that's not healthy for me to just um kind of have that be the centrality of what i do you know so but i guess what i'm saying is not that that's the only stuff out there but that's the stuff that's being funded that's the stuff that's being put on you know as as black academics and researchers a lot of times those are the things that um the only things that we can get traction around because that's what uh foundations and companies and um you know, all of these academic institutions, that's what they want to see. That's what they want us to feed into is that narrative that, you know, there's just so much stuff wrong with black people, you know, cognitive deficits and black children and, you know, black academic underachievement and, you know, just all of this Mm -hmm. stuff. So um, to counter that um, and to counter like, you know, we've seen You know, even outside of academia, academia, in the news and in the media, there's been this really big emphasis probably in the past five, six, seven years um, on, you know, a lot of these racial disparities and and racial uh, incidents of violence that a lot of people have observed that it has started to become like trauma porn. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. where black pain and death are exploited, uh, used to bring in a lot of views, get some attention, maybe get some sympathy. But it's not actually a clickbait. Right. It's not Mm -hmm. actually addressed in any adequate way to to heal or solve the problems. It's just like, oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. Now, look at what's happening to black people over here and look how they're doing us over there. And wow, this is so messed up how they do us, you know. But. It, again not necessarily constructive it's just getting our emotions all amped up making us all anxious about the world and again making us feel like you know oh my god we cannot overcome this there's just too much against us you know <laughs> and right. um it's just it's overwhelming so in response to that there is this movement that has come up and that you know, calling for like an increased focus on black healing Mm -hmm. and black joy. And that has come from various voices and spaces. I don't think it's anything that started in academia. I think it probably started in social media and like, um, more, you know, kind of popular spaces where people were just tired of being inundated. You know, we know the reality. We're not trying to deny that there are things negatively affecting us, but, um, we want to kind of get out, we want to recognize and acknowledge that we also have an existence outside of that oppression. Like we're not defined totally and created totally by, you know, these experiences and realities of oppression. We do have a sense of being that is, you know,
1: on some level outside of that time. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was listening to, you, to your reflections just now and thinking about all the many ways the very system of oppression that surrounds us depends on that Black trauma and that Black pain continuing to be um, the dominant, if not the only narrative that is present, and that exists for the experiences of like anybody of African descent right like so if mm-hmm. we're able to just have that as being the narrative, the one dimensional ways that black people are portrayed or exist or even understood um, then it's it's a rap right like it's done, and then. Like, if that process continues even and we then internalize those pieces and then think about ourselves, like, through that lens, I think it just continues to be perpetuated in so many ways. Um, and, you know, I, I was just thinking about how, like, that one, that one way of understanding us is so very counter to how we have understood ourselves from jump we're talking Mm -hmm. like historically and even currently I think um black people across the diaspora have always been a vibrant lively um just beautiful multi-layered and multifaceted people I mean I have goosebumps even just naming that (laughs) just like Mm -hmm. right now (laughs) Um, always have been and when I think about black joy I think of it as such a way of reclaiming and even reminding ourselves of our humanity in a way that that one dimensional narrative could never, right? Like actually in a way that that narrative tries constantly to diminish, dis- decrease, or um, erase, quite frankly. So mm-hmm. that, that, that word resistance is, is so powerful in even the way that I understand. Um, black joy and black healing
0: absolutely yeah and i think part of that resistance is recognizing that black joy is a is a is a reality you know um and it is a practice too it can be used intentionally as a strategy to um both psychologically and materially like really shift you know these These structural dynamics that we are, um, you know, dealing with. So, you know, training ourselves um, to focus on this in the midst of all of these other things, I think is part of that practice because we do not need to be constantly re-traumatized by watching like anti-Black media. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of us have gotten into the habit of just You know when we see something online we we automatically check the comment sections right for like all the racist (laughs) anti-black or Um, you know yeah yeah i mean that's just (laughs) something that we many of us at this point just kind of habitually um do or you know we get into these arguments with people um, where we just intuitively want to try and convince them um that we're worthy or we get into these arguments trying to disprove black inferiority when people kind of spout these really, you know, racist sentiments. And we just feel like it's always up to us to take up that mantle and engage in these, you know, really pointless, ultimately, conversations. But again, being bombarded with, with all of that wears us down and takes our attention off of things that you know, would be probably more health inducing and more constructive for us. I think that like a, a much better time use of our time and energy is seeking and creating um, like the black affirming messages that we, we want, you know, and mm-hmm. the kind that really restore our dignity and our right. sense of power, our sense of agency in the world. So those you know, are things that we can choose to focus on rather than getting caught up in everything else that the world is trying to throw at us
1: yeah you know something that you just said now um, reminded me of um, some experiences in grad school that really made that clear for me um, and I, and and by that I mean like made really clear one how necessary it is to to do that process to remind ourselves of um, our dignity, humanity, and ways in which, uh, like that narrative that exists about who we are as Black people, is just not actually ours. Um, but also made me really aware of how difficult of a process that was for me, um, and and trying to do that in a, in the in academia. I I think about um, writing my dissertation and. Dr. Spy was very supportive at like, you know, I remember it was chapter five, right? Like all the results and applications of my research. And she kept, she kept giving back the draft, like "Mm, go back and focus, like try to talk about it more from a strength based lens, try to Mm. really like infuse that a little bit more because And I kept reading it and I was like, but what is she talking about? I think I'm addressing it. I think I am talking about the results and the implications. And it was so hard to actually wrap my brain around how I was actually framing um, what it is that I was finding through that uh, lens of pathology, through the lens of trauma and harm. And, And like you were saying, not to say that that's not, part of the narrative I myself was writing as though that was the only narrative and the process mm-hmm. of trying to infuse joy the process of trying to like really bring that in and center that as actually our experience was really it was a very cognitive and emotionally difficult experience to do and I'm mm-hmm. so grateful that she kept she kept challenging me to go back at it and keep editing my drafts because it was, it was necessary. And it was a big, big aha moment for me. That
0: is such a great example. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> here you are formally trained in this strengths based model, right. <laughs> in this whole field that is supposedly dedicated to positive psychology and yeah. on, f- focusing on what's right about people and, you know, all of the, the kind of inherent tools that we have at our disposal to optimize our, you know, lives and our experience of the world. And still when you want to focus on black populations, the default that we've all been conditioned into is to focus on it from kind of a problem centered deficit model kind of precisely
1: lens. Precisely. You know?
0: And we see that all over the place in education, in health, in almost every facet of society kind of tends to default to that when you start talking about black folks. So that's part of, you know, that's also part of the trauma. Yeah. And that's why really deliberately and consciously making that decision to um, come from a, a you know, joy focused, joy centered strength model is, you know, really revolutionary because you're shifting the whole paradigm of how we, you know, address the Black experience. Um, So, you know, me being the nerd that I am, I still (laughs) want to define this term because we keep using it. You know, we keep talking about joy and it feels really important to talk about what we mean when we say that for a couple reasons. First, because I think we need to learn how to distinguish joy from what um, really might be more like coping mechanisms, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. there's joy and then there's things that we can do that make us feel good, you know, temporarily, um, but that actually don't produce joy. Um, So there's that. And then we also have to distinguish it from, you know, what some have called performative happiness and that's when black folks have had to like traditionally display um like you know just this really chipper or silly um peppy or friendly peppy attitude just to avoid appearing like threatening to white people or making white people feel guilty about the conditions Mm -hmm. that they have us living under so um there, Those are two things that might look like joy on the surface, but they are actually, you know, really just again responses to trauma. But when we talk about joy, we're talking about, and this is, you know, from the American Psychological Association dictionary because, you know, because it is. <laughs> but this, this is uh, how psychologists. This is what psychologists mean when we say joy. So we're talking about a feeling of extreme gladness or delight or the exaltation of the spirit arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. So just think about those kind of three different components, gladness, delight and exaltation of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they can get further broken down. There's passive joy which is more like the, the peacefulness, the tranquility, where you're just content with things as they are, you know, kind of zend out, you know, we could think right. of that as like <laughs> bliss or whatever. Um, but then there's active joy and active joy involves, like you're more engaged with life. You have a desire to share your feelings of, um, you know, exaltation with other people. So, mm-hmm. but both of those are kind of, you know, different sides of the same coin. So it's, it's thought of as like a more deep-seated, deep-rooted experience of, of happiness. Um, and so, again, that's different. So we can think of things that make us feel good, um, but that in the long term lead to things like addiction <laughs> or disease or like legal problems or relationship issues or even death. Like those things are not, I wouldn't classify those as joyful (laughs) experiences, even though in the short term, they produce pleasure, right? So sometimes we engage in things that feel good, but aren't really good for us or don't lead to joy long term. Um, So I just want us to be mindful, like the things that bring joy are things that increase our health, they increase our sense of connection to ourselves and to other people and maybe to, you know, the creator or whatever kind of um, transcendent, like um, force we feel, you know, gives us that that broadest sense of connection. And then they, inc- they increase our sense of purpose in the mm. world. Like we have a reason for being here. Our life has a sense of meaning because, you know, we've cultivated this sense of joy. And so yeah. that's joy.
1: I am, um, I'm still, um, stuck by the, the words that like in the definition, the, the exaltation of the spirit, um, Mm -hmm. something about that, um, felt like it just captured what it is that we're trying to describe. And when I think about my experience, sometimes being around black folks and, um, and feeling connected mm-hmm. to to myself, to others I'm in mean, community with. Um, that that language felt like it really encapsulated that.
0: Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. I think um, the reality that we all know too is that there's a long history of this. Like it might not be well represented in our literature, but it is well represented in real life. (laughs) Like, I would argue that most of, um, you know, kind of what has kept this society afloat (laughs) has been (laughs) things that have come out of, you know, the creations of the products of Black joy. So when we think about um, song and music and dance and art that has really become so um interwoven into all of our you know just popular culture and um sense of uh uplift you know and and just um fun and and engagement in life a lot of that born out of pure black joy and black connection to you know itself um even you know coming coming over here from the motherland bringing storytelling and song and certain expressions dancing. dancing and um you know just the idea of gathering together even as families are being separated this mm-hmm. these places where we manage to find opportunities and then you know the entire time um that we've been on this earth you know it's just like mm-hmm. there are manifestations of black joy everywhere in spiritual practices and the way that we connect to nature in our comedy um you know in our in our word play and we can we can all think of ways that this shows up and that really like just enlivens all of our experiences of, of life and you know brings sunshine to even the darkest days you know I think that it's actually pretty ubiquitous (laughs) the way that (laughs) that black joy kind of filters into our lives and so there's actually no shortage of it it's just a matter of again um, how do we focus on that and then how do we utilize it as a tool to kind of dig us out of thinking of ourselves in problematic ways that feed into some of the, you know, issues that we're facing. Mm -hmm. One piece of research that I did find, which was pretty interesting, looked at black um, joy as oral culture that shows up on social media. So that was pretty cool. This was actually a recent article by Lou and Steele. This is from 2019. They're both at the University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. Um, and they actually did an analysis on Twitter and Vine feeds. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and so this is kind of like high tech digital black joy, but this is, um, (laughs) looking at how people, again, this is a movement, right? So it's like not something that's top down. It's how people just everyday people found themselves converging, um, these different conversations and through hashtags kind of created these different threads that helped to preserve black joy. And what was significant about it was that these hashtags popped up in the year 2016, which if you remember, Mm -hmm. this was um, a year that was especially fraught with like incidents of police violence towards unarmed black men. So think Alton Sterling, um, Philando Castile, 30. Um. yeah so this was like in the height of that moment when this these things were on tv these things were posted on social media people were watching them over and over and over again and we were all being kind of bombarded with this reality that like oh crap like this is this is what we're up against this is the systemic you know nature of um you know hate towards mm-hmm. black people in this in this country, and the use of state force against us, um, and these hashtags popped up like uh, hashtag carefree black girl, hashtag free black kids. Um, this is when <laughs> this is when you started seeing black boy joy and black girl yeah. magic, and these yeah. things that they were often um, tied to articles or pictures of black people just living life you know usually black children kind of just enjoying childhood you know just being normal people trying to thrive and um, you know make the make the best out of their days and kind of just enjoying nature enjoying you know time with family and again it represented yeah, that, you know, everyday life was still happening for people despite these, these realities, but also it's a defiance of oppression because what it did, it created a trained focus on black joy. So it said, yes, all of these things are happening. We need to fight them. We need to acknowledge them. And all these other things are happening too. <laughs> like, all, like and. Families are having dinner together. Families are going camping together. Families are you know, children are laughing, people yes. are hanging out, people are making music, people are making art. Focus on that too. Don't forget that part. Right. Yeah. Because we are multidimensional. Exactly. Right? We are not defined solely by our problems or by the things that other people choose to do to us. Right. Um, and. So then the next year, 2017, uh, there was actually a, a creative on, uh, I think this might have been Instagram, this mm-hmm. Black Joy project, uh, Cleaver Cruise. And I found an article that um, quoted Cleaver talking about why um, they chose to mm-hmm. curate these um, items that represented Black Joy. And it's and it says, when we acknowledge that we exist in an anti-Black world that is set up to ensure we do not survive, to choose life and to enjoy aspects of that life is a radical act. Centering on Black joy is not about dismissing or creating an alternative Black narrative that ignores the reality of our collective pain. Rather, it is about holding the pain and injustice we experience as Black folks around the world in tension with the joy we experience in the pain's midst, black joy is healing, resistance, and regeneration. The two, joy and pain, are not mutually exclusive, and often we need the latter to get through the former. I can't think of a better way <laughs> to uh, that's to sum it. Sum that up, yeah, yeah. And so that's you know that's what it is. That's what it's about. And again, um, I think that. The whole movement is really just about shifting our conversation, shifting our language, shifting our attention to um, acknowledge that, you know, Black Joy exists and that it is uh, a way that we can, you know, that we can make it over.
1: Right. Well, I, I think of it as like, really, how do we navigate that tension? that they described, right? Like the the tension that exists between joy and pain and how do we navigate that? um, Those two not being mutually exclusive and then recognizing um, the central role that joy plays in our lives, in our existence on a daily basis, on a minute basis. And like, it just does, Mm -hmm. but like giving it more of a forefront voice um and a presence um in in our in our life i think is um is is such part of the radical work right like around being able to then center that as well um, it's really powerful
0: yes, absolutely. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't throw in a couple of other terms here related to joy that <laughs> inevitably pop up um whenever you know at least in the psychological realm when we talk about joy you often actually won't hear that term come up a lot in um like therapy circles but what you will hear are things like resilience or uh flourishing right these are more clinical terms or you know i guess academic terms that have been developed by um clinical and counseling psychologists to talk about basically what we're describing here as joy. But I know that I have seen research that looks at um, the resilience of um, Black people as something to be acknowledged. And so when we talk about resilience, we're talking about um, the capacity to recover quickly from our difficulties, or the ability to kind of bounce back from tough situations and so you know this has to do with how we adapt Mm -hmm. in the face of adversity and trauma and tragedy and stressors Mm -hmm. right so whether that's family or relationship problems or health problems or workplace um stressors and so you know we can talk about this in the context of the black experience um and we can talk about it in the context of the broader human experience i think that all of us just on a day-to-day basis you know, could benefit from developing resilience. But that resilience is something that has been evident in, you know, the Black experience for centuries because we have demonstrated that we're able to um, kind of adapt and and survive in the face of adversity. Mm-hmm. And then this idea of flourishing, again, coming from um, Marty Seligman, is, you know, again, something that, I think black people have kind of mastered already, but it took took some, you know, psychologists to put it into a model and make an acronym and then um, write some books about it. So, um, (laughs) looking at things like how we use positive emotions and um, engagement with our lives and relationships with other people and a sense of meaning and a sense of accomplishment towards our goals to have this sense of happiness and well-being. So again, it's one of those positive psychology constructs that mm-hmm. um, talks about how we you know, make ourselves feel well and happy. And so um, that is another term that you might see um, that has to do with this same idea of cultivating joy. But to your point, Miriam, you know, so there are these tools and models out there for how to do this. But on a collective level, um, and obviously, you know, we need to do this for ourselves individually and on a collective level, um, how do you see this becoming more part of the conversation? When we talk about race relations or we just talk about, you know, black mental health, um, not even in relation to other groups of people, but just internally, how do we shift this conversation to include more focus on things like flourishing and, um, resilience, not in a, you know, let's just pretend like we don't have issues and that these things aren't affecting us and we don't need actual structural change kind of way, but (laughs) you know, not in a spiritual bypass kind of way, but in a, like we actually need to focus on our wellness. In order to deal with some of these structural issues and and do the work that needs to be done on that level, how can we shift
1: the conversation in
0: that direction?
1: Well, you know, I think I think you just named it right. Like, like throughout throughout this conversation, Ava, like the being able to um, to acknowledge both right? Like when we're having conversations, I think it's oftentimes so skewed to one extreme or the other. And for a variety of reasons and for for a variety of investments, right? Like we named how um, the academy, our systems and the world society by and large is invested in that um, trauma focused, pain focused, pathology focused um, narrative. And I think part of being able to to hold and center joy is to be able to reincorporate that as part of the conversation. So when we're even acknowledging those pieces, being able to make to make room and space for the tension that exists between both, and mm-hmm. um, something sometimes you know we we use sort of like language and terminology like around helping folks. Um, holding some like cognitive flexibility around being able to do both and how things don't have to exist as one way or the other. So I find myself oftentimes like almost like teaching people and reminding um, individuals, communities, like spaces in which that I'm in that um, things, both those things can be true at the same time. And sometimes being able to acknowledge that and accept that part Uh, at least for me, uh, opens me up to then better be able to truly like tap into the joy that we are talking about, not the performative, like, Oh, I'm doing those things like as a, as a um, counter to what it is that's happening, but I'm really doing it from a grounded place of, um, from a grounded, spiritual connection to self Um, and to anything that transcends me and also to my community. So, But I find that it often starts by being able to acknowledge that those two things are in relation with one another and making space for that truth.
0: Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. So in terms of just um, how we can each cultivate some of this black joy within our own lives. Because we started out this conversation with you acknowledging that like today, at least you just don't, you're not there, right? Like, and yeah. <laughs> I think that we all get to that place where whether it's because you're watching the news and watching the world around you and you're just like, ah, oh, this is a hot mess or just like we're each, you know, this stuff exists on a global scale but it also exists in our day-to-day lives. So we go to work and we have to deal with some Karen. You know, <laughs> that's like mm-hmm. all the issues or we are, you know, being talked over in meetings or ignored for, you know, promotions or um, we are like the the realities of these systemic issues trickle down to the the everyday of our lives. Right. Um, and so how do we cultivate this sense of joy even as we face, um, you know. And I think about a lot of my friends who are activists or community organizers or working really on the kind of grassroots level to address, you know, big systemic economic and criminal justice and ecological issues affecting our communities and working in all these different realms. They're just constantly steeped in, you know, what's wrong, what needs to be fixed, Mm -hmm. how much work there is to do. Um, so they're often like, how am I supposed to focus on joy? You know, <laughs> right? Um, that seems like a cop out, right? And um, one of the things that I recommend for folks or that I guess I could just say I have found helpful. Um, and I don't know if it works for everyone, but just
1: using your I statements. (laughs)
0: Yeah, because I don't, I, you know, obviously I don't want to be prescriptive here because everyone's different and I haven't got it all figured out either, but, um, I have found it helpful to, um, set some boundaries kind of, as I mentioned earlier around for myself, what I will allow my attention to be on for a set amount of time. You know, I can't commit to things that just require me to be in um, problem analysis mode (laughs) constantly. All the time. Yeah, and we may or may not have that, you know, amount of freedom in our work or in our day-to-day lives. Um, But if we do, I have found that helpful. And also being able to prioritize time where we are um reflecting kind of on our vision for what we want and what would help us and our you know the people that we love to feel safe and secure and um you know seen and really like held in the world and yeah making sure that we're working in alignment with those things. Cause I think a lot of us get so caught up to in survival mode. That is something that we talked about last episode. That is a common reaction to trauma, right? It puts you in constant fighter fight mode. And so you are stuck in this place of just trying to survive everything coming at you. And it leaves very little room for thoughtfulness around what you want. (laughs) <laughs> yes, your life to look like what you want your community to look like what you need in order to feel really um joyful right yes. to feel that sense of um exaltation and safety so being able to carve out time and space to do that and um you know we were talking earlier about how sometimes that means you know taking time off um putting up Walls, not walls, but <laughs> just putting up. You know, using using the tool of no, the power of no. I cannot come and to that thing. I cannot take on that project. I cannot help with that um, issue. I need to create some space for internal reflection, and so um, being able to use your sick days, being able to use that. Uh, You know, vacation time, if you have the luxury of that, or being able to just opt out of dealing with everybody else's expectations of you for long enough to get yourself grounded, get yourself in alignment. If that means journaling, if that means praying, if that means spending time with folks that are meaningful to you or communities that are meaningful to you, but doing that in a way that helps you reset and helps you center. Your own well being. Um, because again, we're trying to train ourselves to focus on what is right with us. <laughs> right. And what we, you know, are healing and what we want for ourselves and not necessarily just spending all our time focused on, you know, what's broken.
1: Ooh, yeah, you got me and my feelings here. <laughs> I think I, um, I, to some extent I underestimated um, where I was because, as you were sharing, I, I found myself feeling um, increasingly emotional and and also just so grateful for us to even have this space. Um, like that's that's a big part of why I, I I I still showed up, right? Like knowing where I was, mm-hmm. but still showed up because. I recognize that being in community with you in this moment, being able to even talk about it and share space um, brings this, this groundedness, this, this sense of peace, this sense of meaning and connection um, that ultimately feels joyous. Um, mm. so you were just talking and, and I was like smiling and getting a little tearful was like, the, the thing that we're talking about is happening ah, <laughs> ah look at that <laughs> I know look
0: at that <laughs> that's amazing well thank you for being here um, Miriam I appreciate you showing up and you know that's that's what we need to do for ourselves that's what we need to do for each other and I'm always happy to kind of be a, a safe space for us to bring each other back from the, from the edge. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. Yeah. And trying to do the same in, um, you know, with our loved ones, with um, mm-hmm. the clients that we work with and serve, um, with our community and neighborhood by and large. And um, sometimes it it is hard to be able to do that especially when um sp- speaking for myself again like i don't necessarily feel like i have access to those pieces like for myself right um yeah. something that i've been sitting with and th- something that came th- came up this week related to black joy for me was um the experience of laughter and mm-hmm. <laughs> laughter, how uh, and how, um, how connecting that feels. And, um, I was like, it's, you know. How how do I de- describe that? Like you know how sometimes when black people just get together and then we start laughing <laughs> about something, <laughs> and it becomes this like contagious laughter yeah. that is like, <laughs> bigger <laughs> than what mm-hmm. it is that we're experiencing. It's Absolutely, like, <laughs> this big old booming contagious effervescence. Of <laughs>
0: Yes, that's a great way to describe what? it. And that's life-giving, right? That Life. is the the quintessential, like, joyful experience of, yeah. And we make everything better just with our laughter. Our, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I but I think that's, yeah, I think that is a great um, kind of picture to paint and a, a great description of you know, how it feels when we're together. And I think this is one of the things that we can do for each other as Black people. Let's just continue to bring each other into um, remembrance of our joy, not in a way, again, that dismisses the the hard stuff, but in a way that reminds us of our power. Um, yes. Because that's the piece that feels like it gets taken away with the trauma porn it's like it leaves you with this sense of powerlessness and hopelessness and what black joy does is recenter us in the hope and the power of black community black identity and just black spirit you know
1: period (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. you know I you know, uh, oftentimes, like the conversation around resilience and around overcoming um, is painted as such an individual process, and mm-hmm. so much of what it is that we've talked about throughout um, our episodes has been around like the importance and the necessity of community around mm-hmm. like black psychological wellness and well-being and of course it would not be like black joy and healing would not be an exception to that so the idea of being around folks that can then reflect back to you hope a sense of hope a sense of um like feeling nurtured, feeling like a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, like being able to reflect that back to you when you're not feeling it is is so key to that piece around black joy and very intangible. Um, so yeah, I think I'm just sitting in that right now.
0: Mm, well, thank you. And I hope <laughs> that you feel nurtured and can walk away from this conversation with a little bit more black joy at the forefront. And I hope that's true for everyone who's able to listen today. Um, If you have thoughts about Black Joy uh, to our listeners, please feel free to, you know, drop comments on the, the platform where you are listening to the episode today. And let us know your version of Black Joy and how that shows up for you. It is something that we want to see more focus on in the coming years and you know yes we would love to hear
1: it (laughs) your experiences like share with us um really looking forward to to continue to share right like with one another
0: yes well thank you so much dr miriam for being here again today for our black and brainy conversation and
1: (laughs) always a pleasure dr laura like life-giving truly i am like smiling from ear to ear right now just yeah
0: Ah, all right let's go out and live some of that black joy (laughs) And um, yes let's let's do that (laughs) to our next episode until then peace everybody take care bye-bye